Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, I don't know how, I don't know how you found this, this series, Walking Through the Book of Ruth. Who's enjoyed it? I've really, really enjoyed it. As, we've, as I've wrestled through, as we've worked through, as we've talked through, and as I've been preparing through this book, I'm really excited for what we're going to do and what we're going to look at today. Can I just warn you? It's a little interesting. You know, as you listen to it this morning, there's a little moments you go, I don't really know what that means. When there's people lying at people's feet and uncovering feet, and I don't know really, but we're going to look at it this morning. But the title of my message this morning is simply this, I didn't see that coming. So the big idea this morning is simply this. Every single one of us at some point has said to ourselves, is this as good as it going to get? Yeah, I mean, that might be right now for you. Might have been last year, it might be next week, it might be. But every one of us at some point in our life have said to ourselves, is this as good as life is going to get? Let me just rehash, if you've just uh, joined us for the first time this morning or you've missed one of the last couple of weeks, let me quickly rehash, and I'm going to quickly rehash. I got in trouble because I haven't so quickly rehashed, but this time I'm going to quickly rehash. All right, two weeks ago, we started off in Ruth chapter 1, and we looked at Elimelech and Naomi. There's a famine in Bethlehem, and so they go to the place called Moab. But Moab was a bad place full of bad people. In fact, the, the Israelites were taught that you weren't allowed to go to Moab because it was a sin. You weren't allowed to know a Moab person because that was a sin. You weren't allowed to touch a Moab person. You weren't allowed to marry him. You would just basically stay away from anyone who, whose name sounds or rhymes with Moab. So you've got to get away from all of that. And so they go there and they find themselves settling there. And Elimelech's sons, two sons, marry Moabite women. And Elimelech and his sons all die. And all that's left is Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. And then Ruth and Naomi return to Bethlehem. That was week one. Last week we looked at chapter two, where we look at Ruth and Naomi arrive into Bethlehem. And they arrive with nothing. And so as they arrive in with nothing, they recognize they've got to do something to eat. And so Ruth goes to the fields to pick up the grain after all the harvesters have been going through, remember? And, and she happens to walk into a field by the name, by the owner by the name of Boaz. And, and Boaz arrives a little while after Noah, uh, uh, Ruth arrives, sorry. And, and after Ruth arrives, Boaz arrives. And then Boaz starts saying hi to everyone. Hey, hey, hey. And then all of a sudden he does what? He goes, hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden he notices a young woman by the name of Ruth. Something catches his eye or someone catches his eye and her name is Ruth. And so every day Ruth went back to that same field, Boaz's field, collecting grain in the same place at the same time every day. And Ruth resigned herself to the fact of thinking, is this as good as it's going to get? But then remember last week we talked about there was a moment and it was as, as it turned out. As it turned out, God had something in store for Ruth. And God's got something in store for us this morning. So that's a quick rehash of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to jump in to Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. And it says this. Now, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, 
I must find a home for you where you will be well looked after and provided for. Slash, really what that means is, Ruth, I love you, but it's time to get out of my house. And every parent said, amen. I'm waiting for that moment of excitement. I love my kids. So verse 2 goes on to say, Then Boaz, who's, sorry, now Boaz, with, with whom, with whose women you have worked with is a relative of ours. Tonight, you, he will be a widower, widowing barley on the threshing floor. See, Boaz had kind of crossed Ruth's mind. But Boaz really hadn't crossed Ruth's mind because it all seemed impossible. Why? Well, see, what Bo- Ruth thought it was impossible because, because Boaz was a Jew. Boaz was wealthy. Boaz was a man of significant stature in that community and time, but most of all because Boaz was 80. Now, Ruth was in her mid-30s. Ruth was a widower, and, Booth, and Ruth was from where? From Moab. And so Naomi, but Naomi had other plans. Have you ever noticed that God's plans are often different to our plans? But have you ever noticed that God's plans are always better than our plans? You know, God's plans are different, but God's plans are always better. And I want to encourage someone this morning that you might feel like right now is as good as it's ever going to get. But God has something better in store for you. But she thinks Boaz is impossible. She thinks that that's just not the reality she's ever going to face. And so she, she sent to go to the threshing floor. Now, for us, we go to the threshing floor means totally nothing. So let me explain a little bit about the context and what they found themselves. The threshing floor was the place where the men would bring all the grain together and they would beat the, the husks and the grain and the grain would fall away from the husks and then they'd blow away all the chaff and they'd be left with the, the grain left and they'd pile in the middle of what was called the threshing floor. And what they would do is all the men would sleep around the threshing floor to protect it from being stolen. So that was the threshing floor. It was the place where only men would go. It was kind of like the original man cave. You know, before we put stickers up in it, you know, signs up in our garages. This was the original man cave. And so here was, and, and, and women were not allowed to go to, go to. And so this was the place where, where Naomi sent Ruth to go. But see... What I find so interesting is that what happens at the threshing floor is supposed to stay at the threshing floor. But then we get to verse 3, and it says this. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, and don't let him know that you're there until you have finished eating, until he has finished eating and drinking. Naomi, Naomi says to Ruth, what I want you to do is this. I want you, to, want you to go and get ready. I want you to put on your perfume. I want you to get your best Zara dress or whatever dress that you can find. And I want you to get it on, get your best shoes on, get the whole king caboodle on. And I want you to go down to the threshing floor. And then when you get there, what I want you to do is I want you to go and hide behind the curtains. I want you to kind of just, just watch from a distance. Just peek around the corner. In fact, what I, kind of what I'm saying, what I want you to do is I want you to stalk him. Now, is this sounding weird? At a, like at any moment of this, you know, I want you to stalk him. Just breathe deeply. No, no, like, just, just, just kind of watch him and hide until, and then what does it say? 
Hide until he's eaten too much and he's drunk way too much. Is anyone else with me here this morning that's going, that's kind of creepy? Pretty sure there's laws around the fact that you're not supposed to do any of that kind of stuff. And so here we find Naomi's telling Ruth to go and stalk Boaz, like creepily kind of watch him. And then when he's eaten and he's drunk too much, you know, you're kind of sitting there going, Dave, but you know, look, this is not really appropriate for church. I know. And it gets worse in just a moment. Okay, you ready? Ready? Because then verse 4 says this. And when he lies down, note the place he's lying, and then go and uncover his feet. Like, I've got just many places that my wife wants to uncover, and my feet are not one. Anyway, anyway. And then lie down. And he will tell you what to do next. Okay? All right, all right. That's just... It's just got a whole next level of interesting. Now, you've got to remember, Boaz is how old? He's 80. Boaz has never been married. He's incredibly interested in Ruth. And, and, and all we find, I mean, this, is, this isn't a story that we're about to put on the, the flannel board in kids, okay, people? Like, this is not going to get into kids' church on the flannel board. And, and, and Naomi says to Ruth, what I want you to do, Go to the party. What you, what you do is stalk him. And then when he's had a few too many beers, when he's had a few too many beverages, I want you to go and lie and uncover his feet. And when he wakes up, tell him, I'll ask him, and he will tell you what to do next. Has anyone got just a little, is anyone gotten kind of like a little uncomfortable? Can we just crank the air conditioning down a little bit at this particular moment? See, all of a sudden it got uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but steps of faith are often uncomfortable. Yeah, they're uncomfortable because otherwise we'd, we'd all have already taken the step of faith that God wants us to do. But see, remember, Ruth thought that this was a good idea. She, she, she was in a desperate place, in a desperate season of her life. And she knows that she needs to take a step. And when we realize that God wants us all to take our steps in our walks, and we know that some of those steps aren't always going to be easy, but they are necessary for where God wants us to ultimately go, it's going to cost us. And it's going to mean that there's going to be uncomfortable moments that he asks us to take. But then 5 says this, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the refreshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. I love that. I love that, that what she says to Naomi. I will do everything you say. What would our lives look like if we said that to God? What would our lives look like if we we just said to God, God, I will do whatever you say. I will go wherever you ask me to go. I will do whatever you ask me to do. What would our lives look like? See, when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we hand over the controls of our lives to Him. 
And in a sense, what we're saying at that point in time is, Jesus, I will do, I will go, I will say whatever you want me to do, go and say. But how many of us know it's a whole lot easier said at that particular moment than outworkingly done? How many of us know that it's easy said, but not always done? See, then all of a sudden we fall back into old habits. And we just live our lives like we used to do with kind of a little bit of Jesus attached to it. But but here we find Ruth saying to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. See, back to what I just said a few moments ago about steps of faith. See, steps of faith will be uncomfortable. Steps of faith will be challenging and steps of faith will be scary. But you know what, church? Our community, our nation, and our world won't be changed by comfortable Christians who sit in the corner quietly and passively. See, our world will not be changed unless we get a little bit uncomfortable, unless we say to our God, God, I will go, I will do, and I will say all the things that you want me to go, do, and say. See, D.L. Moody, he was one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century made a statement. It's a statement that I read years ago and it's stuck with me ever since then. And it said, the world is yet to see what God would do with a man or a woman fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. In other words, What he said that day is what Ruth said thousands of years prior when he said, when she said, I will do, go and say everything you've told me to go, go, do and say. See, church, we've got people in our campus who, who do that daily. You know, right now, I was just talking to Michael Deacon, who's in Southeast Asia, one of the Beyond Workers that came out of our campus. I was talking to him during the week about some of the exciting things, but also some of the challenges he's facing. You know, we've got, a, we've got another man, another Michael up the back just over here, who's in our campus. And three years ago, just over three years ago, God called him to take a step. God called him to just go and build a little food van and a prayer van and take it to people who can't get near it. So for the last three years, he's been going into the city. For the last nearly 12 months, he's been going just down the street in Marsden, feeding homeless people and praying for homeless people. You see, Michael's caught this moment where he said, God, I will do what you say and I will go where you call me to go. And it's cost him. You talk to him after the service and he will tell you story after story after story of lives being changed because he's an obedient decision to go, you know what, God, I will just do my little bit and I'll put my little bit in your hands and trust that you will do something extraordinary with it. All because he said, Michael said, and so many other people in a campus have said, I will do everything you say. See, church, what if we lived our lives like that? I want to challenge us this week, just to start on the journey. I want to challenge us this week, you know, just during a lunch break, whether it's a home or school or uni or work or wherever it might be, wherever you find yourself this week, I want you to pray one prayer at lunchtime. God, over my lunch break, I will go, do, and say 
whatever you want me to go, do, and say. And I want to make a promise to you this morning. If you do it, and if you listen, your life will be changed. And I know, because as I've prayed that prayer over years, I've seen what God has challenged me and stirred me and done in my life. So I want to challenge you. I want to double, triple, quadruple challenge you this week just to pray that prayer. But back to the story. Naomi is telling Ruth, basically what I want you to do is I want you to go and stalk, and then I want you to seduce Boaz. Now let's rewind a little bit. You know, the, 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 the Moabite women, this wasn't the first time the Moabite women have been accused of, of trying to seduce a bunch of Jewish people. Back in their history, back in their past, a bunch of Moabite women had, had got together and bandied together because of a whole bunch of things that were going on, and they tried to seduce a different bunch of Jewish men to try and get their way. And so this wasn't the only Moabite woman who had a checkered past and who had ever been accused of trying to seduce and had a bad name for seducing Jewish men. But this time, however, God was in control. See, God can redeem anything. And God can redeem anyone. And in verse 7, it says this. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and he was in what? Good spirits. And he went over and he lied down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Boaz is in good spirits. You can imagine that moment where Boaz is like, God, if you can just get me to the other end of the somewhere and help me lie down somewhere safe, then I will never do it again. And all of a sudden, he stumbles and he lies down where he lies, the furthest possible distance away from everyone so that they can't see the condition that he's found himself in. And then Ruth uncovers his feet and lays down. I wonder in that moment, as she laid down and she smelled the aroma of Boaz's feet, I wonder if at that moment she thought, this is the dumbest decision ever in the history of dumb decisions. I mean, this is like, this is ridiculous. I mean, none of this makes sense to us, does it? Like, you don't sit there and go, oh, it's a stroke of genius. Like, if you want to seduce someone, sleep at their feet with their stinky feet. Like, of course, none of us think that. But then the words of Naomi pop into her head. I will do everything you say. These steps of faith often seem crazy. It doesn't always make sense. And that's why it's called a step of faith, not a step of the obvious. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, Faith is taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. See, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that every time we take a step of faith, it will be uncomfortable. And if it's not uncomfortable... I don't think it's a step of faith. And then verse 8, we read this. In the middle of the night, something settled, startled Sorry, the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian, redeemer of our family. Just rewind for a second. 
So Boaz is gone, and, and Ruth's gone to a party. Boaz has got drunk. He's fallen asleep, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's a, li- there's a lady lying at his, at his feet, and they're uncovered, and he's 80, and he's desperate to get married. And, and, and what happens at the threshing floor should stay at the threshing floor, and it seems crazy. And it, But actually what seemed crazy was Ruth's way of proposing to Boaz. But I can imagine... I can imagine that he'd given up, that Boaz had given up on asking God for someone special. I wonder how many times he'd given up going, you know what, it's never going to happen. I'm going to go 80 years old, I'm an old guy now, like it's just not, this is never going to happen. I wonder how many times Ruth had resigned herself to the fact that this was as good as it was ever going to get. And in that moment, I wonder if both of them realized this, that God is I wonder if both of them sat back and realized that God had heard their prayers. See, sometimes to see God's faithful provision, we need to take a step. And so then Boaz said, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than than you should have showed earlier, than you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, which whether richer or poorer. In other words, you know, Ruth, you could have chased anyone. In fact, you didn't chase any of those, richer, poorer, younger, or anything else. But you chose to chase me. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. All the people of my, of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. A quick question. Did everyone know that Ruth was a woman of noble character? Now, I mean, you've got to think, like, if we did a quick, if we did a you know, quick survey of the whole village, the whole town, and said, you know what, who is Ruth and what kind of character does she have? Now, quick question, let's go back to the start. Where was Ruth from? Yeah. And was it good or bad to come from Moab? So if, if we surveyed everyone and everyone knows where Ruth is from, are they going to say she's of noble character or is she, are they going to say she's from Moab? Of course, they're going to say she's from Moab. See, two chapters ago, we find that, that Ruth and Naomi walk into Bethlehem and the streets weren't lined with people with party poppers celebrating that the Moabite had come back to Jerusalem. No one was sitting there going, this is a great idea. In fact, I wonder, I wonder if she walked in that day, parents grabbed their kids and pulled them aside because they didn't want them to get near a sinful Moabite woman because they knew that if they touched her, that would cause them to sin and they would have to go through a cleansing process to get right with God. I wonder at that moment when they saw her, you know, they spat in her direction. I wonder as as they saw her and they recognized who she was and where she was from, they looked at her like a piece of garbage from Moab. Said, why don't you just go back to where you came from? We don't need your kind of people here. See, Moab, noble and, and Moabite were never used in the same sentence. You know, they, they never made sense together. You know, you didn't sit there and go, Moabite and noble makes total sense. But I love this. Love that no one in the town saw her as a noble woman except Boaz. 
Why? Because remember, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He's a picture of who Jesus would be. The one who would come to redeem the whole world. And just like Boaz saw Ruth differently, Jesus sees you differently. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we, we find a passage where God's calling the next, the next uh, uh, king of Israel. So he says to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house, get all his sons together, and I'm going to choose the next king of Israel out of all of his sons. And so he gets all of his sons together. Eldest all the way down to youngest. Best looking, most talented, gifted, strong in leadership. And then in verse 7, God says this to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks God looks at you. He doesn't see your past, your reputation, what other people look at and what other people see. He just sees the potential that he's placed inside of you and inside of me. And then Boaz continues. Although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of your family, there is another who is more closely related to I. Now, you've got to pause for a second. You've got to go, we've got to understand the day, the day and the context and the time. So if, if your husband died, you would have to marry his brother or another close relative. Now, if you're sitting next to your brother-in-law this morning, a little bit awkward. But, but, but that was just how it happened in that day and time so that you would be looked after. And so Boaz, but Boaz here could have taken this into his own hands. He could have taken Ruth to be his own wife and kind of just done it secretly and kind of out the way and so no one else kind of realized. But he didn't do that because he wanted to do the things the right way according to what God had planned. There's a song that we sing called Waymaker. And the lines of it say this, even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. He never stops working. Boaz is 80 years old. He's never been married. He's incredibly desperate. He's been praying for a really long time that God might bring someone into his life, a a special another woman. And now there's a woman lying at his face and he realizes that his God is faithful and that his God had heard his prayers. Verse 13 says this, stay here the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as a guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. I kind of reckon that last moment, there would have been a a newfound sense of enthusiasm. He said that. You know what? And if he doesn't do it, I'm doing it. Look at me, baby. Like, I will do it. And then verse 14 says this. You're a little bit early, but that's okay. Um, So she laid down his feet until morning. But he got up any (laughs) time. 18. It's all right, we're at 14, that's right. Just, I love your enthusiasm. See, <laughs> Boaz was enthusiastic, Samuel's enthusiastic. 
So he laid his feet until morning, but he got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. See, women weren't allowed to go there. Women weren't allowed to be seen there. They weren't allowed to go to the threshing floor at all. But Ruth is obedient to Naomi. And she's desperate for God to move in her life. And so she takes a step of faith. A faith that doesn't seem like it's the the, the right idea or it doesn't make sense to her. And she lies at Boaz's feet. And lying at Boaz's feet that morning was an act of total and utter submission to him. And so in that moment, she takes a step of faith and she submits. And then verse 15 says, and he said also, bring me a shawl and wear it and hold it out. When she did so, she poured out, sorry, he poured out six measures of barley and placed it, placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi asked, how did it go? And she told her everything that Boaz had done and added, and he gave you these these six measures of barley. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. See, even Boaz was scared of his mother-in-law, or soon-to-be mother-in-law. Ruth busts the door open, and she tells Naomi everything. But notice something here in this story. When, When she arrives to Boaz, she has nothing and she's empty. But she leaves with six measures of barley. Notice when when Ruth comes back from Boaz and she enters Bethlehem, she arrives empty with nothing. With no husband, no kids, no hope. And she's resigned to the fact that that this was all that her life would amount to, that God had forgotten her because she was empty. See, some of you feel like that this morning. You feel like God could never use you. You feel like, you know what? I'm not worth very much because I feel empty. But you know what I love? And you know what God loves about empty vessels? What I love and what God loves about empty vessels is that he's in the business of filling them. And now Ruth, the sinful Moabite, begins to take a step of faith. And she ultimately, spoiler alert, ultimately marries Boaz. And she becomes the great, 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 42 times. Grandmother of Jesus. She's included in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogies. There's only five women that are mentioned there. And what started out empty returns full. And in verse 18, Samuel, this is now your cue. We come to my favorite verse of this chapter. And it says this. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. See, I love that because, because what Naomi is saying is that, 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 that Boaz will not rest until it's done. 
He will not give up until it's completed. And, 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 and what I love is the fact that, that, that Boaz stops saying, is this as good as life is going to get? And he starts saying, I won't give up. I will not settle until God does something in my life and provides for my life. And see, how many of us have settled? I believe that God has been using in part the last couple of years to, to unsettle us. To stir us out of our comfortable, cushy spots that we've found ourselves in. We live in a blessed, we live in a blessed country. We live in a country where we've got so much. And yet, as a result of it, we've so easily found ourselves comfortable and settled. This challenge is ahead. There's uncertain times ahead. But I love the fact that regardless of what the future holds, our promise stands true. So I love the fact that no matter what, what the future looks like, God is for us and God is with us. I love the fact that, that it's not just us that, that we're in uncertain times with a, with a they're quite, quite sure how this was going to pan out. For Ruth and for Boaz, they found themselves in a similar spot. But they wouldn't settle. And they took a step of faith. See, church, God doesn't want us to settle. God wants us to take steps of faith. God wants us to step out of our addictions. He wants us to step out of this places where we're just playing games with God. <laughs> he wants us to step out of those, those just simply playing lip service. He wants us to step out of those places where we're just doing the comfortable thing and coming to church and ticking the Jesus box and going, well, that's enough in my faith. And He wants, he wants us to step into a place of surrender. Total surrender to Him. Is this as good as it's going to get? It is if you stay where you are. See, I love the book of Ruth. And I love it because it can be summed up, I believe, with one word. The word grace. Grace. Undeserved an unmerited favor from God. See, remember Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He had the opportunity and responsibility to save and redeem Ruth. And Boaz didn't notice her in the midst of her mess. He didn't notice her in the midst of... of uh, he didn't even notice her when, when she looked good. He didn't notice her when she would shower, when, she, when she'd dressed up in her very best, when I had her makeup on and her hair done right. But Boaz noticed her in the middle of her mess. It's a picture of another kinsman redeemer, the ultimate kinsman redeemer in Jesus. The one who came to redeem and save the world. And just like Boaz, Jesus didn't know, notice you when we got it together. 
when when we've got it together on our best days. But I love the fact that Jesus notices you and he noticed me in the middle of my mess, in the middle of your mess. I love the fact that that Jesus sees us where we are. Jesus saw us at our worst. And he came to the messy ones like me, like you. That's why we can say, I didn't see it coming. That's why we can say that I know that God has more for you than you could ever dream or imagine. If we take our step of faith. This morning, before we sing a song together, I want to ask you a question. Is this as good as it gets? Will you continue to settle where you are? Or will you take the step that you need to do? We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.